Go ahead and grab a uh, seat this morning. We are continuing on our series through Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 4. One of the things that we know or that we believe about the Gospel of Mark, many scholars believe that it was the earliest written of all the Gospels. In fact, uh, many scholars think that uh, Matthew and Luke, when they wrote their Gospels, both used the Gospel of Mark as a source. And uh, there's, there's several instances when Mark's writing his Gospel that uh, he adds extra details that make us believe that he was an actual eyewitness to many of these events. We'll see some of that here in our story today. But we're going to be, I'd like to take kind of a, a zoom in and a zoom out approach to the text here this morning where at the beginning we'll kind of zoom in really closely as if looking through a magnifying glass and look at some of the Bible study details, the who, what, when, where, why of the text. And then we'll zoom out uh, and look at it in a broader text and see what kind of themes come up that we can apply to our lives. Uh, so just a couple thoughts on that this morning, the who, what, when, where, why. Uh, we've got Jesus and the disciples. If you remember last week, this kind of setting the stage for the story here this morning. If you remember last week, Jesus has just finished teaching uh, to a, a large crowd, maybe thousands of people. And what's interesting here about the setting is he's on the Sea of Galilee. He's actually in a boat just off the shore because the, the crowd is so large. And, uh, and so he's in a boat teaching this crowd. And what's interesting about the setting is at the Sea of Galilee... There are little cities, uh, villages scattered for miles all around the sea. And these cities make up about 50 to 100 people would compose, a, a, compose up of a, a city. And uh, so to think about the large crowd that Jesus has here of maybe 1,000 people is quite an event. When you think, when you add into the factor that these people didn't have public transportation, that they had to walk, literally some of them for days, just to come and hear this rabbi teach. Uh, so this is quite an event that has gone on here uh, where he's taught about the parables and taught about the kingdom of God. In other words, the, the rule and reign of God coming to earth. And uh, so Jesus has just finished teaching. Um, the other thing about the setting, the Sea of Galilee, it's known for its crazy storms that can rise up just all of a sudden. Uh, and there's actually still today, there's signs along the beach, along the road, and the car parks, warning drivers of what could happen, the dangers if you're caught there when a storm comes up, cars get washed away and stuff. And it's pretty, pretty violent and pretty crazy, uh, apparently, on that lake, on the Sea of Galilee. And you don't want to get caught there in a storm. Uh, the what and the when. Jesus is pretty exhausted here. Um, and he says to his disciples, right at the beginning of the story we're about to launch into, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. And the reason for that, for no other reason, is just to buy him some time, some rest time, some downtime. He's he's been going, he's been ministering to people, his disciples have been ministering to people, teaching. And he's just at his end. He's exhausted. He's tired. And so he knows, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. He knows the crowds eventually will catch up with him, but it's going to take them a couple days at least to to walk around to the other side. And so he, for no other reason just other than to buy him some time and some rest. He wants to go over to the other side of the lake. So that kind of sets up our story here this morning. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 is where we'll begin. It says this, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. 
there were also other boats with him. That's one of those little random notes that for no other reason he just noticed it. Maybe an eyewitness kind of note that the other gospels leave out. There were other boats there with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Another one of those notes that the other gospels leave out. Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Another translation I like says, Where is your faith? Verse 41 says, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Which brings us to the why. Mark's intentions for writing or recording this event, other than it was just something that happened in Jesus' lifetime, um, would have been, his intentions would have been uh, to, re, to bring up some echoes for the Jewish audience. He knows that this story brings up all kinds of familiarity and, and some incredible echoes from Scripture about God calming the seas and calming the raging storms. Listen to this. In Psalm 65, verse 7 says, who stilled the, stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Psalm 89, verse 9 says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Psalm 93, verse 3 and 4 says, The seas have lifted up the Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Psalm 107, verse 23 through 30 says, some went out on the seas and ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage mel- melted away. They reeled and scattered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Now notice how familiar this is to our story. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. So, pretty prophetic there, right? Mark is in, knows that this story is going to bring up all these echoes, and the Jewish audience is going to draw these connections to who this Jesus really is, that he is the God that calms the raging storms. He also knows that for the Jews... For many of the Jews, the sea has come to symbolize all the powers of evil. In fact, in the book of Daniel, the sea is where monsters come from. And so when we see this Jesus rescuing his disciples from a storm, we are actually witnessing something that the parables that he just got done preaching, that Mark just recorded, already said. That is, that the kingdom of God is at hand. That God's power is being unleashed on earth, and Jesus is literally bringing all of creation, not just humanity, but all of creation back under the rule and reign of God. Even the wind and the waves under his rule and his reign. And so Mark knows that there's going to be a lot of familiarity here. He knows it's going to bring up a lot of echoes. And I think even for us today, in the 21st century, half a world away, thousands of years later, this story holds some familiarity. most of us in this room, if not all of us, I think have, this story seems very familiar. 
almost eerily familiar because we've, most of us have probably been in this situation. Not that we've actually literally been in a boat in the middle of a storm, but that we've all been at our wits' ends. That we've all had those moments in life where we're completely lost, we're at our wits' ends, and we cry out to God, and it feels as if God is maybe far away, feels as if God maybe is sleeping, not paying attention, and we cry out to God. God, essentially the same thing the disciples said, do you not care that I'm about to drown here? Do you not care that this is happening to me? I think most of us can identify with that, that we've been at that point. What's interesting one of the first themes that jumps out at us from the story is it's almost humorous that Jesus doesn't even realize what's going on. Like he's in a coma over here in the boat. The disciples are in full panic, and he's snoring away on a cushion in the boat. He doesn't even wake him, doesn't even grab his attention. The waves and the sea and the storm doesn't even get his attention. And I think that's one of the things that the truths that we need to realize about God from the scripture, from the story, is that the storms don't get his attention. The storms that get us all at our wits end and in full panic mode don't even bother him. Well, what wakes him is when his disciples come crying to him, come calling out to him. The storm doesn't get his attention, but when his child comes crying out to him, that's when he comes to our rescue. That's when he turns his full attention to us. And in light of this truth, the question then becomes, when do you turn to God, right? When do you turn to Jesus for help? Is it only after you've exhausted all other options, only after you've been rowing, trying to row through the storm on your own, that you actually turn to God and say, God, I need you. Where are you? I need your help. Is it only after you've exhausted all those options? Essentially, what Jesus asks his disciples when he says, where is your faith, is what took you so long? Because our faith is found in turning to Jesus. Our faith is found when we turn to him in our times of need. There's a parable Jesus tells later about two houses, one built on the sand, one built on the rock. When the storms come, what happens to the one in the sand? It crumbles. And when the storms come... To the house that's built on the rock, it stands. And scripture tells us that our foundation is our relationship with Jesus. So our faith is actually found in turning to Jesus in the midst of the storms. How many of you here ever worry? Let's see your hands. How many of you ever worry, right? A few of you, right? I think all of us probably would admit that we worry. How many of you have ever found worry to be a constructive way of life? A productive, constructive way of life, right? Does worry ever help anything? I would think most of us, if not all of us here, would say, yeah, worry doesn't ever help anything. And I would submit that Scripture, the Bible, and Jesus here offer us a different way of life. They offer us a different way of living. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, I will give you rest. Paul tells us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And I think maybe that's the hard part, the everything. Praying about everything. Because I think, honestly, maybe the hard part isn't turning to God in the big storms, the cancers, the tragedy that happened in life. It's almost innate in us 
to turn to God in those moments, right? I had a friend a couple years back who was on an airplane. He told me that uh, this airplane uh, <laughs> went down for a couple seconds. He said that the cabin lights went down and or electricity went out or something. I don't know what happened, but in his words, the electricity went out, the masks came down, and the plane dropped for, it was probably just a second or two, you know, or whatever. And, uh, but in his mind, it was like forever. And he said, at that moment, everybody in the plane started repenting. <laughs> he said, the person next to him put his head between his knees and started yelling, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus. And I think it's almost just natural for us when we're in those moments when we're at our wits end, to call on the name of Jesus. There's something inside of us to call on when we're hurt, when we're lonely, when we're exhausted, when we're at our end, to call on the name of Jesus. And maybe the harder part is to learn how to continually, daily call on him in the midst of our daily storms. We all have, and we all have our to-do lists. We all have our conflicts that we have to manage. We all have the unforgiveness, the hurts, the deadlines, the kids, the car radio, the TVs, that are all these distractions going on in our lives. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to convince you that we live in a pretty frantic-paced world because I think we all already know that. I heard a story recently about uh, Himalayan Sherpas whose main goal is to help climbers reach summits like Mount Everest. And... uh, Much to the chagrin of of Western climbers, these Himalayan Sherpas will stop for a day or two. Just every every once in a while, they'll stop and put down their equipment. And in their words, wait for their souls to catch up to their bodies. Kind of a cheesy story illustration. But I think there's something there that resonates truth. In that we can live such frantic-paced lives that we actually rob our souls of what it needs most. And that is moments of quiet and stillness. It's almost as if we bought into this bogus gospel, this fast food drive through religion where we come to church once or twice a week or whatever and we get our spiritual goods and services for the week and then we're done, we're good. If you've ever seen the movie Supersize Me, you know what, uh, what happens when you live on a diet of fast food. And just as the body needs... Nutrition, actual nutrition, our soul needs moments of quiet and rhythms of rest. I'm reading a book uh, about this topic, and the author tells about when his wife was pregnant with her first child. And he remembers her saying that she never noticed the baby moving inside of her until she laid down and stopped all other activity. She never noticed the baby moving inside of her. Now I think the same could be said for our souls. That we need to stop all activities occasionally. Stop all distractions. Our soul needs us to do that. Dallas Willard was asked, what's one thing, if he could name one thing that would make you become truly spiritually alive, what would he say that one thing is? And his response was this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the enemy of the soul. So what I'd like to do here this morning is take some time 
to do an experiment with you if you'd indulge me in that. And I put in your bulletin a couple of spiritual disciplines that I've tried over the years uh, that have been kind of helpful to me. Not that I do them all the time, uh, but you may want to experiment with them this week. We'll take one or two or all of them and just give them a shot, try them out. One here this morning that I'd like to try together, if you'll indulge me in that, and that is Lectio Divina. It's on their first page here. It goes over into the second page. And Lectio, anyone ever done this? Lectio Divina, you've you've practiced Lectio? A couple of you? Sweet. Cool. Awesome. Lectio is an ancient Christian practice. Just basically what it is, it just helps us to meditate on Scripture. As the psalmist says, I meditate on your word day and night, so I might not sin against you. And I think one of the traps of the enemy today in our culture is our devotional life. We can go to the Christian bookstore and get the latest and greatest Christian devotional book. And we make it part of our to-do list, don't we? We make it part of our frantic life. Or we check it off the list. We read our chapter in the Bible and we check it off. Done with that. Good. But really what our soul needs us to do is to meditate on Scripture. We believe... That scripture is living and alive. And it has the ability to literally change us. Change our hearts and change the way that we think. As Paul says in Romans 12. To renew the way that we think. So this is what I'd like to do. just want to try it. Lectio Divina, it's a Latin term that just means divine word. Or sacred reading. And so there's a couple steps to it. And uh, this is the way it works. First thing we're going to do is I'm going to put a scripture up here that I think kind of goes along with our text today. Fits pretty fittingly, Psalm 23. And we're going to read through it just a couple times. And as we're reading through it, I might ask a couple people to read just to get different inflections. You know, people emphasize different things when they read. But as we read through the scripture, I want you to just take the time just to listen for a word or a phrase or an idea a picture that just kind of catches your attention. It just starts to stand out to you a little bit. And then the next step after we read is to meditate. And so once that word, that phrase starts to stand out to you, just take it, meditate on it, chew on it a little bit. Think about what does this mean? How do I apply this to my life? Why is God trying to show me through this word or this phrase? Then we're going to pray. So God's been speaking up until this point, and now it's our turn to speak back. And we're going to pray this scripture back to God. And what I like about the last step of this practice, Lectio Divina, is the, the last step is contemplation. Contemplating how we live this scripture out. So not as opposed to our devotion life in Western culture, where we read the Bible and leave it behind, Lectio Divina forces us to not just leave the scripture behind, but to think about how we're going to live it out, how to apply it to our life through the rest of the day. Cool? So this is what I like to do. I'm going to put Psalm 23 up there, if we could. And uh, just want to, if, I don't know if we can maybe shut some lights or something. That'd be great. But what I'd like to do is just read through it. We'll read through it maybe three times. And if you'll indulge me, Uh, And just kind of do an experiment with me. Our purpose here is just to hear from God. 
just to hear what the Holy Spirit might have to say to us, to let him kind of calm the waters around us and to listen to his voice. So if you'd indulge me just for a second, this is what I'd like you to do. Just close your eyes. Make yourself as comfortable as you can in your chair. And just notice God's presence around us, that he's with us here this morning. Maybe say a prayer, asking God to speak to you through his scripture. Father, we ask that you would speak as your word is life. You speak, you speak life into existence. So our desire and our our intention here this morning, God, is we need to hear from you. God, over the next couple of moments, just let us be attentive. Let us have ears to hear your voice. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. Just take a minute. Listen for something to kind of catch your attention a little bit. Benton, I'm going to ask you to read for us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Tasha, would you mind reading it for us? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me.
So hopefully, as you've listened, as you've read and listened at the same time, and a word or phrase stuck out to you, I'm just going to ask, just voluntarily, anybody share something that, a word or a phrase that kind of stuck out to you? I lack nothing. Why do you, what do you think that means? Why do you think that stuck out? Somebody else. It stuck out to you. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Yeah. Yeah. He guides me for his name's sake. Guides me for his name's sake. Maybe one more. He refreshes my soul. What I like about this practice is that we're all reading the same scripture, but yet the Holy Spirit is illuminating different parts of it to you right where you're at. That's what we mean when we say scripture is alive and living. The Holy Spirit points something out to us individually and changes us depending on where we're at in our lives. So let's pray. The next step is that we would pray this scripture back to God, and I'll just lead us in a prayer here this morning. Father, we thank you for speaking to us that we lack nothing, that you provide all that we could hope or ask for. You provide everything that we need. You are our provider. That you refresh our souls. That you guide us for your namesake. That we don't have to fear anything. For you are always with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. We thank you, God. Help us to live that way, knowing those truths today. In Jesus' name, amen. And then the last step for Lectio is you typically would spend some time contemplating how to live that out. What, that, what does that word or phrase mean to you, and how are you going to live that out? How's it going to change the way that you act and live today? But for our sake, we'll move on here this morning. But how many of you, just in the last five minutes, we just took a couple, five minutes just to sit in silence and meditate. How many of you already felt kind of the waters start to calm just a little bit? Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So maybe you're here this morning and you've been carrying around this huge weight of worry, of fear, and irritation with somebody. And Jesus would just simply say to you, would you just stop? Would you let me shepherd you and lead you beside quiet waters? Refresh your soul. Stop trying to do it on your own. Maybe it's something big. When I ask you, are your eyes fixed on the storm, on the wind and the waves? Or are your eyes fixed on the one who commands the wind and the waves? And may you realize this morning 
that even if he chooses not to calm the storm around you, that the only thing really in real danger is the boat. That he is our refuge, our strong tower in times of trouble, in times of need. He's our ever-present help. And may he be that for you this morning. Father God, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for your presence here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.